Hello, Mainly fans. I am your host, Ian Saxine, here with our permanent co-host, Tiffany Link. Tiffany, good to be here with you. You too. Hi, everyone. We're coming to you with our Halloween special, the beloved annual tradition. Uh, Tiffany Link affiliated with uh, where do you where do you make your money these days when you're not, you know, with me? So my day job is collections curator for Maine Historical Society. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and of course, my day job is as I'm assistant professor of early American history at Bridgewater State University. Sadly, not in Maine, down further south in New England, but we do what we must. Uh, but most of the time, I'm just happy to be here with all of you. So of course, Tiffany and I are coming to you in our private capacities, send all fan mail and other types directly to us and not our employers. So um, Tiffany, uh, what are we what are we doing today for our co-inaugural uh, introduction of this newly chatty multi-host podcast? Today, we are going to be bringing you some spooky stories about the Longfellow House here in Portland, which is part of the Maine Historical Society campus. And uh, we are going to get those straight from our visitor service manager and one of our house guides. Sounds good to me. I don't know about you, Tiffany. I don't know what possessed you to do such a long introduction. So let's do this. are joined today by John Babin and Meg North, who work with visitor services and give tours of the Longfellow House. John kind of oversees all of the visitor services aspects at MHS and is our resident Longfellow expert. And uh, Meg is an excellent house guide. And uh, I think, although she might correct me, kind of specializes in our spooky October haunted house uh, themed tours. Right. This is appropriate enough because this is, after all, the Mainly History, much beloved and ballyhooed Halloween special. So, Meg, John, welcome. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having us. This is going to be fun. We'll get into the the sort of more macabre elements of all this in, in just a moment. You're here in the Longfellow House. Could you just, uh, we mean, of course, Henry Wadsworth. Longfellow grew up there, among others. Could you tell listeners who maybe aren't familiar with this structure where you're located um, and maybe, you know, a, a little bit about the property? Yes, we're located at 487 Congress Street in downtown Portland in the Arts District. The house was built back in 1785 through 1786 by Peleg Wadsworth, the grandfather of the famous poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And the home is the home of Henry and his family also lived in the grandfather's home. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was inspired to write poetry. His sister Anne leaving the home to become a museum in honor of her famous brother, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, who was inspired to write in the home. And Anne said some of his most famous works were written in this home on Congress Street. Great. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, he's a, he's a romantic writer. He's not 
my understanding, and Tiffany probably knows more than me, but he's not generally associated with sort of particularly dark or or spooky literature in and of himself. Is this correct? Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote for the common man. He was one of the fireside poets, and they wrote poetry that was easy to understand, that was easy to recite and easy to retain. It may not have been particularly spooky, you know, in general, but I always think of Henry as being someone you could kind of cozy up to the fireside and, you know, read some of the poetry. And some of it is a little dark or moody, but there is a lot, like John said, that's sort of inspired by history and some of the things that his grandfather and father may have experienced uh, in their lifetime. So the highwayman was pretty dark, wasn't it? Yeah. There we go. Uh, I remember in elementary school, of course, we read the Paul, the midnight ride of Paul Revere and the highwayman, which felt very um, rhythmically kind of similar. It had real cloppity clop feels to me, clippity clop like a horse, but maybe (laughs) no, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I'm revealing I'm just a a Philistine here. Um, Yeah, the opening is really fun because he says, listen, my children, and you shall hear the midnight ride of Paul Revere. You know, you already feel like you're on the horse. uh, Yeah. Well, I, I remember, I don't know why I remember the highwayman being that way too, which of course about a robber who's kind of, rakish and james deanish and then gets betrayed but highwaymen rode horses too so i don't know okay uh anywho uh, today though apparently there is uh there there is a a a more haunted ish or macabre side to the the longfellow estate so we've we've been told is that correct well, I'm going to talk about some of the things that have happened in the house that are kind of unusual and some of the things that the visitors have told me about. And Meg is going to tell about some of her experiences, right, Meg? Oh, absolutely. I've got quite a few, so we'll be digging in here. Before we start, John or Meg, do there's been quite a few family members go through this house over time. I mean, there are quite a few children over just a pretty short span of generations, but do we know how many people might have died in the house? Uh, I think the number is is either six or seven, if I remember correctly. It's at least six. Okay. I suppose a fair question would be for a house of that age, if that is unusually high or unusually low, given, you know, early America being the place that it was, but still that's a, that's an amount. Yeah, yeah. There's there were two different generations uh, who grew up in the house, and so, but for to have you know ten children in Henry's mother's generation, and then eight children in his generation, uh, for them all to survive infancy, that was quite rare for the time. So, what's unusual about the six what we call permanent residents uh, or permanent family members is that they all did live you know past those 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 tough early early ages. So. Uh, that shows you that the, you know, it's the house of a general, it's a house of, of a family had a little bit more money, a little bit more status of the time. So they're able to uh, have good nutrition, good water, you know, those kinds of things. So, All right, John, you want to start us off with some of the things that you've heard uh, over the years, some of the spooky yeah, be, tales? Be happy to. Part of my job here at the Maine Historical Society is to open and close the Wadsworth Longfellow House, which is usually pretty routine except for some days and nights. So after a late night tour, 
I was closing the house and just turned out the lights when a loud crash came from the second floor. It sounded like a piece of furniture fell over. I immediately turned on the lights and ran upstairs to see what fell over, only to find everything in place. Never mind. So every window in the house has wooden shutters inside. Their purpose is to let in light or to keep the light out, and they also help keep out the cold. They fold open, and when they're shut, they have latches to keep them closed. Each window has two latches, and there's a total of 11 windows that I need to take care of in the house that need to have the shutters latched. So one night after a late tour, I proceeded to latch the shutters and do a final walkthrough of the house. The following morning, I returned to open. After disengaging the alarm and turning on the lights, I started to open the shutters. First window I walked up to, the shutters were unlatched. I thought to myself, hmm, maybe I forgot this one. It was pretty late last night. Next window, shutters closed, but the latches are hanging. All 11 windows unlatched. My comment to my folks in the house, very funny. Yeah, one it was day. totally Tiffany, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm clean. <laughs> I don't even have codes to that building, so. <laughs> so one day, one of the neighbors here on Congress Street, where the house is located, asked if there was anyone in the house. And I told him no. So he said, can I take some pictures? of the outside. We were having a very light snowfall. And the house looks really pretty when the snow is clinging to the windows and the trees. Days later, our neighbor came back and he said, I thought you said there was nobody in the home the other day. And I said, there wasn't. He got out his phone and in the photos that he took is an image of a man standing in the second floor window where there are no shutters. He's in a black coat with a light colored scarf. And the man appeared to have a long white beard like the poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. <laughs> and I, I saw this picture and really like, you buy it. Yes. It's yeah. I have to say I do. You know, I, um, the jury's still out for me on the existence of ghosts. I keep an open mind, but I, I do love a good ghost show on TV, ghost hunting show. But my mind does not do the matrixing where you're you see a blob and your brain makes it into mm -hmm. a face. Like most of the time I see the ghost pictures and I just think I have no idea what they're talking about. But this one. I saw, and before John even explained what was happening to me, because it was just like sitting on the counter, I was like, that looks like a person right there. Ooh. So um, yeah, it was very eerie for some of the quote unquote ghost evidence I've seen in my life. So. so what we did after that happened, I went up and I stood in the window, okay? And Melissa, who was the store manager at the time, stood out on the sidewalk and took a picture and then we compared it to the, the picture that the uh, gentleman took. And it looked like somebody was standing there. So, you know, it was it was pretty spooky. 
So people ask a lot about the house and they they ask if it's haunted. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the ghost sightings that we've had in the house. Okay. The guest room on the second floor of the house is where Stephen Longfellow, the father of the eight Longfellow children, and Anne Longfellow Pierce, the poet's sister, who left the home to the Maine Historical Society. On the nights that they both passed away, Stephen and Anne both went to sleep in the guest bedroom. On several occasions, people will become overwhelmed and have to leave the room. One woman muttered in a faint voice, someone's here, before fainting. Recently, a woman said a person joined the tour that she was on and stayed on the guided tour almost to the end and then vanished somewhere in the house. And that was just a couple of weeks ago. So these were, you were there for those? Yes. Wow. Yep. I was, I was there when the woman fainted. I was there a number of times where people have just become overwhelmed. They said there's someone here and they'll run out. I've, I've, I had someone literally run out and I, I was like, stop, stop. It's okay. Everything. They, they just leave. They just become overwhelmed in that room. I don't know what it is. Can I ask, and maybe maybe Meg, you can speak to this. Was there, because, you know, folks who put stock in hauntings and, and, and such will often say that, well, if there are places where something particularly traumatic or violent or otherwise you know, or, or really sad happened, that that, you know, leaves an imprint or, or whatever. Uh, was there anything that happened in this house that, that you're aware of that maybe would be a candidate for that? Uh, yes, actually. I actually, just as a personal thing, I lived in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Which oh, is that'll like, do it. <laughs> in America. So wow. basically everybody who lives in Gettysburg year round can tell you a ghost story or two. It's, it's pretty fascinating. So I highly recommend going to talk to them there. But yeah, in this particular family, we did have, you know, some, some epidemics and some illnesses. We did have tuberculosis which is a, a really terrible disease. We did have a, a family member, Henry's older brother, uh, who was basically an alcoholic and, you know, kind of drank himself into an early death uh, and mm. did pass away in the house. So his life uh, is quite tragic. And every time James talks about him on the haunted tours, something is, is bound to happen to either me or to John or to James or to one of the visitors at that time. Because Stephen Jr. is definitely not happy uh, about being talked about. And uh, Henry's father, who passed away in the guest room, uh, had epilepsy. So he did uh, suffer from pretty terrible health towards the end of his life. And I've also had experiences with Henry's mother, who mm. passed away yeah, in the parlor chamber, the master bedroom, because she had what was called a chronic nervous condition uh, at the time. So we're not quite sure what she had, but she was quite confined to her room, you know, suffering under ill health for some time. So the family never quite uh, escaped a lot of that. And then Anne Longfellow Pierce, Henry's sister, uh, lost her husband after only three years of marriage. So she was very, very deep into mourning herself. I don't know if she ever left any encounters with her, deceased husband, uh, but he was definitely uh, on her mind for a long period of time. So, so death, I don't think was, was ever far away 
from the family members throughout the house. Do the particular members of the family, those of you, you both spend a lot of time in this house, uh, when people have senses of them, whether it is you or, or guests or, or, or visitors, uh, are they specific to certain locations? Like does Steven Jr. have a particular location where if you're going to have a Steven Jr. experience, it's like, oh, the drawing room or, you know, whatever. Or is it less, is it less specific people in specific places that you have each found? Well, we have had different people talk about different rooms and people that they've seen. We had a medium in the house one time, and she immediately walked into the kitchen, and she said to me, who are the two ladies in the corner? And I said to her, well, I think it's going to be Anne and Ellen, okay? And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's, that, that, that is my guess, that we, we feel it so... Um, you know, that's what she saw. And we, we think that probably that's who it could be. Meg? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I do believe that you know, we, we do have uh, a presence probably in every room. But for me personally, it's the second floor, uh, especially the guest room, where I personally have had, you know, just the most weirdness <laughs> going on. Whereas more in Zilpa's bedchamber, the, the parlor chamber, uh, the master bedroom, that seems to be more of a presence and more of like, like you would walk in and out of spots of cold air that you don't feel in any other room in the house. But it's, it's really the guest room, I think, that, that we've had the most, <laughs> the most experiences. Oh, without a doubt, it's the guest room. Yeah. Okay. Is this a thing where, you know, kind of like trying to find Narnia where you can't find them when you're looking for them? Or is there parts of the house that are predictable where maybe you've had guests, visitors come hoping for some kind of a sense or experience, and then they succeed in finding one. Like uh, in my case, yeah, they've always been surprised. <laughs> okay. <laughs> or, uh, or myself, but, but having done haunted tours for some years now, I, I can almost guarantee something is going to happen uh, either in the children's room or in the guest room. Those are the, the last two rooms on the tour. Um, and I'm going to either feel something or something's going to happen. So I don't know about you, John. Yeah, most people that come through the house, most people are kind of skeptical, but I've had people walk out of the house and have said to me, there's something going on in there. And I said, well, I'm, I'm glad that you experienced it. You know, and then they'll ask me questions. But um, overall, a lot of people have come in and, you know, I don't believe in ghosts. And, you know, and we say, well, you know, we're not we're not saying the house is haunted or we're not saying it isn't haunted. Um, but, um, you know, they usually come out with a different attitude. I feel like I must be the least sensitive person on the face of the planet because <laughs> I haven't had a Longfellow house experience at this point. <laughs> so... Maybe Anne needs to, I don't know, reach out and let me know she's there. Do you think Anne's a good bet? I mean, when I think about the Longfellow House and John and Meg, again, with their expertise can probably say a little bit more, but unlike some other historic house tours I've been on, I think you get a sense that there's a lot of really intense emotions that ran through this family, whether it was love or like a sense of belonging or happiness or sadness and just some of the real like tragedy that they experienced, you know, throughout the years. And 
I think that as Ian was saying, like this sort of impression that maybe those heavy emotions, good or bad, can leave on a place do give you the sense that there's a, a presence there. And I think that's what I feel more in the house is just like there, there were just a lot of emotions and people felt really connected to each other and to that uh, location, I guess. The Longfellow children had very, very loving parents who really nurtured them. And the thing about their childhood growing up, it was a very, very happy one. Henry talks about that in his letters. Anne also talks about it. Anne talks about after dinner, they would do their homework in the home. And silence was the motto until all the children finished their homework. And then what would they do on a cold winter's night, but run out to the kitchen because that would be the warmest room of the house because they were cooking all day. And Ian would say, that is the time in the Longfellow house where you would hear shouts of joy and glee coming from the children. So mm -hmm. there was there was a lot of happiness in that home. Well, that's good. Can I ask, you know, Tiffany and I were, were very interested in, you know, the different kinds of expertise, different kinds of historians and people involved in history bring to this. And besides being caretakers of this, this house and this museum, you do haunted tours. And so you're a special kind of public historian, one of, of haunted tours. So I'm wondering if there's a sort of camaraderie or a sort of specific kind of, of ethos or approach that folks in your line of work have, right? The people who do, because, you know, I mean, uh, speaking of ghostly presences, my cat's just jumping on the table here. Awesome. <laughs> Lenny's haunting the house. You know, like New Orleans is full of these and they're a lot of fun and, you know, a, a bunch of Gettysburg, as, as Meg pointed out. So mm -hmm. I was wondering if practitioners such as yourselves see yourselves that particular subset as a, a kind of craft unto itself or a field and you you kind of you know exchange knowledge or you have a sort of your own network i'm going to let meg take that one <laughs> i was going to say i'm the historical groupie <laughs> i'm always going to i call myself a dead person groupie because i'm always going to uh historic homes and and things like that and i actually was recently at the poe cottage in the bronx uh, which was the last home that Edgar Allan Poe ever lived in and also the home where his wife died. And uh, so I did chit chat with the, the tour guide at the time and, and talk about that. So I've gotten into some wonderful conversations uh, with other, other historians about, you know, having any, any encounters, you know, with other people, but, uh, and a lot, and, and yes, definitely in Gettysburg, uh, most of the, of the people who live there year round uh, have some kind of funny ghost story or or just sort of accept it. You know, something is weird or the lights flicker or uh, one lady worked at a retail store and her, uh, the clothing in the retail store would be rearranged at least once a week when she would come in in the morning. So, and to her, that was just normal. That was just natural. <laughs> um, so it's it, it's pretty pretty amazing, but it's it's kind of a nice thing to uh, to connect with people over for sure. Like our haunted house tours are probably a little different than what most people would encounter at other quote unquote haunted locations because one of our guides, James Horrigan, kind of um, styled a tour around Henry's poem, uh, Haunted Houses. But it, you know, it starts out with like all houses are haunted houses. And it's not so much focused on like what's happened in the house and who's haunting the house, but it's more about the emotion that 
past events can leave on a place and how that can affect visitors who are are coming in later years and sort of appreciating what's come before. Um, so I think it's a really unique way to kind of talk about hauntings, talk about historic properties, talk about what they mean to us today, and whether it's Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's house or whether it's your grandmother's house, you know, just how um, the things that have happened there kind of resonate with us um, in the present time. Tiffany, you you raise a really good point. And I, I think it's, it's relevant thinking about like, there's so much just like there's joy and love in history. There's so much tragedy and violence and unfortunateness as well. And how we brand things for like haunted tours and Halloween. It's as though we, we are choosing tragedies that we are enough removed from and that are able to be kind of successfully distanced to a certain extent. Right. Um, for for the purposes of this, because of course, like nobody wants to do something fun at like some tragic massacre site or something like that. Like that would be really messed up. And I Uh, mean, you go on a Jack the Ripper tour, but I don't think you go on a Yorkshire Ripper tour, you know, like 1880s versus 1970s, like, you know, it's too, too soon. (laughs) Like, so yeah. Ted Bundy tour. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Is this a thing? I mean, I'm sure there's people who do that, but you're not going to grab that mainstream like tourist brochure at the, down at the ferry. So yeah. There are a hundred percent serial killer groupies who write to these people in prison and there's a subset of them. And I, I don't understand it, but there are many things I don't understand. So is this just uh tragedy plus time equals haunted tours, you know? Yeah, and, and the location. I mean, the the house itself has such a presence. Uh, it it really does, especially when we do the tours in the dark, when you know, when only a couple of lamps are lit, and you can see the shadows on the walls, and you can hear you know tree branches kind of creaking outside, and you can hear maybe a lone seagull sort of cawing in the background. You know, it's it's almost like a movie set, but it's real, and. It all of that adds to adds to the feeling of the tour, and you can smell all those historical smells at the same time. You can see the furniture; it's all real. But there's also that element of like a Halloween fantasy added to it, and visitors really respond to that, and and so do we as well. But at the end of the day, it is real. These were real people, um, so we're not trying to glorify or or make them out to be you know, a movie actor who passed away on screen and then will be alive in the next role. These really are real people and and caused immense sorrow uh, for the people around them when they passed. Meg, before we we forget, thinking you mentioned Poe and Edgar Allan Poe is sort of Mr. Halloween. Did Henry Longfellow, they were contemporaries. Did they know each other at all? Uh, They did, actually. Uh, And they engaged in what is now called uh, the Little Longfellow War, they had some kind of, of conflict between the two of them. Uh, Poe wanted Henry to submit poems to the magazine that he was writing uh, at the time. He was an editor at the time. So he wrote to Longfellow. He actually esteemed Longfellow very much. Uh, he liked Voices of the Night. And so he said, you know, please submit something for my magazine. And uh, And Henry, of course, was extremely busy at the time. He was still teaching at Harvard. And so he he turned him down. And uh, Poe was quite the critic. He had quite a critical tongue. Um, So he kind of, you know, he he published a, a, you know, a series of of short articles 
in this magazine that he was editing, you know, talking about how, you know, Longfellow was too good, you know, the Bostonians, you know, are too good to submit to my magazine. And uh, he had a pretty poor view of transcendentalists and all and those people <laughs> at the time. <laughs> anyway, he called it uh, frog pondium. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was very funny, very witty sometimes. And uh, but he, he, he took that personally for sure. <laughs> and Longfellow till, till the end of his life always praised Poe. He, he liked the Raven. He, he thought Poe was an excellent writer, but he, he scratched his head over what, <laughs> why Poe got so emotional. Uh, over him just saying, I can't, I can't submit a poem. Maybe the gang would weigh in on this as, uh, as Longfellow aficionados and experts. Um, you know, Poe has so many, Poe, there have been several now kind of spooky movies like murder mysteries featuring Poe in uh, this, you know, kind of uh, fictional semi-autobiographical semi role. I'm thinking the John Cusack movie, I think it's called The Raven. Uh, yeah, and they mentioned one. the Longfellow feud in that one. So. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> he gets very upset at his editing job. Yeah. So, yeah. To your point. Yeah. And then there's the newer one uh, that came out a year or two ago, the bluest, I think it's called The Pale Blue Eye Yeah. Uh, on Netflix. Okay. You were, <laughs> uh, I guess, so I guess my question was, <laughs> what if you think if there was going to be a sort of, you know, fictionalized kind of horror genre, you know, sort of a movie about Longfellow that was going to fit into the this sort of vaguely spooky genre. Do you think that would work? Is, do you think there's any aspect of his life that, that would work in the way that like Poe clearly has recently? Well, I think that Longfellow and Poe, weirdly enough, both experienced some really awful tragedies throughout their life and their love life, losing people that were really close to them that sort of helped make them feel complete. You know, I think Poe obviously kind of came from a very different background, different upbringing, maybe not as much love in the home or the sense of family that Longfellow had. And yet they both wrote very different things and kind of came out of that in very different ways. So I'm not sure what the the Longfellow ghost story would be, but um, he lost, you know, both his wives, uh, very tragically. And, you know, like I said, I don't. Didn't one of them burn to death, like, or die in a, was yeah. this a, the fireplace accident? Yes. Or something. But yeah, yeah, that's okay. Well, that's, yeah, that'll and, do it. And um, so, you know, it's, I think he probably felt haunted. I mean, part of the reason he grew the beard was to hide some of his scars and, and things like that. So, so maybe it would be something along that, but I think it would be more of like a personal haunting rather than pose sort of more outward, like haunted stories. Um, but John has written a book about the young Longfellow. So he probably has more insight about his thoughts and his personal life. I would definitely say that if it was any type of haunted, it would be Henry being haunted by the death of Francis Appleton, his wife. Um, he said later in life, that no person should ever experience what he saw. You know, I mean, to watch his wife literally burn almost to death. She died the next day, but, um, you know, he tried to help her, but to no avail. So, I mean, that's the haunting right there. I think that that would be Henry just being haunted by 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 the tragedy. Yeah, and he wrote, he wrote Haunted Houses a little bit later in life, I think the 1850s. 
Um, so he would have been in his 40s at the time. So he already would have gone through the death of his first wife and, you know, the death of his brother and the death of his sister. And Meg, that- sorry, how did his first wife pass away? You heard he was Mary, right? Yeah, Mary Potter. Yeah, she okay. was the yeah, she's the daughter of a judge. And I think that they, you know, grew up together. So she was a family friend. Uh, so that was quite a loss. They were trapped, they were overseas um, because he was learning languages and they were in Amsterdam, I believe. And uh, they were trying to have their first child and she passed of a miscarriage. And she truly was Henry's love. Um, He was devastated by that death. And, you know, you can read it in the poetry, you know, look at Voices of the Night and he talks about the death and tragedies. Um, So that was, that was, that was very very hard on him but i think the second death if we're talking about a haunting watching somebody burn is not pretty mm-hmm. yeah no oh, absolutely um so on slightly less gloomy notes some haunted tours attract um well significant uh significantly famous people uh my favorite i I was in New Orleans and I heard, uh, I went on a, a tour of the French Quarter and the, our guide was talking about Nicolas Cage. Because of course, this no no <laughs> Halloween episode is complete without Nicolas Cage, clearly. Uh, Nicolas Cage, he bought a haunted mansion in New Orleans. This is like the ultimate Nicolas Cage story, clearly. And he did so almost sight unseen and he got it for real cheap because apparently terrible things happened in this house. There was like a poltergeist in it or, or something. And so he moved into this house and just all these horrifying things started happening. And there's like blood on the walls. So the, so the story goes. And so then he approached this ghost tour company and said, I need to know what's wrong with my house. And the manager said, well, then you'll just have to pay and take the tour like everybody else. <laughs> and so Nicolas Cage took this tour to learn about the horrible history of his own house. Um, and then event like couldn't de-haunt it and then sold it uh, after spending all this money and, uh, <laughs> and left it. Yeah, so, I think they used it for the backdrop of one of the American Horror Story series. Really? Yeah. That so makes sense. Uh, there was some... Some, like witchcraft perform i mean so the story goes but i think also some like yeah. madame lived there like some like slave Lallerie or something yeah like that. and yeah. some like slave owning aristocrat who did think, terrible yeah. things i think they were one in the same yeah 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 <laughs> uh and so like you know some of her victims were, were there possessing the house or you know whatever else so okay so you've heard of this too so yeah. we don't have that <laughs> but has uh has the longfellow house attracted the glitterati coming to take the tour. Yeah, you mentioned some famous or semi-famous people had had been on the haunted houses tour. Yeah, I think a, a couple of years ago we had a a couple who were in the area, and uh, one of them is a. Well, they're both movie actors. Um, I don't know, you know, how famous they are, but they have been in they have been in some some big movies. So, and and worked with worked with um i think one of them was even in one of the terminator movies um you know which is which is pretty cool and i think another one was in one of the twilight movies so that was that was kind of neat so talking about haunted houses and talking about haunted tours meg want to share a couple of your stories 
like maybe about when we're giving the haunted house tour and some of the things that you've experienced? Yeah, the role that I play during the tours, I'm not talking to the visitors. Uh, I'm actually playing a ghost. And uh, I think uh -huh. I'm playing, yeah, I'm either playing the ghost of, of Silpa or the ghost of Anne. So I am the ghost of one of the women in the family. And I dress all in black. I dress in an authentic hoop skirt with a, you know, with an authentic black dress, you know, do my hair authentically and the whole thing. And uh, so while James is leading the visitors through the house, I am inconspicuously, but yet conspicuously showing myself. And uh, so I have certain locations where I allow myself to be seen either from the back or from the side or sometimes even from the front. And uh, I try to spook them in that sort of, is she there? Is she not there kind of way? And then at the very end of the tour, I don't interact with the visitors. So they, you know, maybe they'll never know who was that strange lady in the house while James was giving the tour. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. And uh, so I am actually by myself in the rooms, especially the rooms upstairs. So James will be in one room with the group of visitors and then I'll be in another room. So I'll be by myself in the Longfellow house in a room where family members passed away wearing their clothing. And uh, so I think that that has really opened me up to being somebody that they feel comfortable interacting with. Because uh, every single year I've had something happen. The very first year uh, that we did it, the, the family, I think, was just really, really agitated that we were doing this. And so there was a lot of stuff going on. Like the radiators would whistle off and on, you know, especially up in the guest room, there's a radiator there and it would start whistling. And then I would kind of whistle back at it and then it would stop whistling and then I'd leave and I wouldn't hear it again. And then two nights later, you know, start whistling at me again, only when I was in that room by myself. Uh, so that was kind of neat. Um, sometimes I'll be sitting on the third floor staircase and we don't go up to the third floor, but I'll be sitting on that third floor staircase uh, waiting to make an appearance and a gust of cold wind will come down that third floor staircase. And that never happens during our regular daily tours. Uh, so I'll be sitting there and all of a sudden I'll feel this just whoosh of cold air coming down this dark staircase uh, from the bedrooms above. Sometimes I'll see a face in a window or maybe catch a glimpse of a face in, a, in one of the mirrors. Uh, all the mirrors in the upstairs uh, have that silver backing. So they have a clouded, you know, clouded appearance. And then I'll be sort of gliding around in my hoops and I'll kind of turn the corner and maybe catch a glimpse of somebody else uh, in the mirror who maybe looks like me, but they're not wearing the same clothing. Uh, that's happened a couple of times. And then, but this was the most fun. Uh, and this was probably my favorite experience is so I'm up in the guest room and I'm waiting uh, for James to bring the tour around to the guest room. So I'm waiting uh, in there by myself, you know, at night, you know, Halloween time. And uh, I had my hair up, you know, just in an antique 1850s style. 
And, uh, but I did have a couple of curls that are out because that's how they would do it at the time. And so I'm just sitting there on the floor in my hoop skirt and somebody started playing with my hair. I could feel it as if there was somebody standing behind me or kneeling behind me, or maybe somebody had bent over and was, you know, just kind of twirling one of my curls around her finger. Um, so that was, you know, there's no breeze or anything, but somebody was playing with my hair. Uh, so somebody liked my hair at that time. And then the signs, we have these uh, little signs on the furniture. So sometimes the signs will be turned around or they'll be moved uh, or things like that. And then I'll have to move them back. And then maybe, you know, so many minutes later, I'll have to move them back again because they got moved again and nobody was in that room. So there's all sorts of, of funny little things that happened during our haunted tours. So Meg and John, you know, sometimes the haunting tours that other places do or that you see on TV, it's like uh, sort of like a malevolent presence. But I, I mean, again, I think I'm one of the least sensitive people ever to this sort of thing, open to it, but just haven't experienced anything. But I don't get the sense that there's something scary in the house. It's more just a presence. Is that sort of what you guys think or you're like the people who have experienced visitors on the tours? Um, I mean, I, obviously it can be very startling, but I don't think scary, right? Well, the things that have happened to me are more or less like tricks that they've played on me. And I will comment to them, you know, very funny or, you know, whatever. And so I always think about the children growing up in the home, the great childhood that they all had, you know, uh, so basically if there, if there's a presence in there, it's kind of a fun presence. Yeah. I, I mostly feel very playful. Almost every single year, our, our first haunted tour of the season, uh, they're a little bit more agitated. Uh, I think they're kind of thinking, you know, why are these people in my house at night? You know? Um, so you can kind of feel this, this strange kind of agitation in the air that's not present during my regular daily tours, uh, especially in the upstairs, you know, just kind of this, this off energy, you know, the kind of suspicious or kind of agitated or a little, you know, disturbed, you know, basically. But then once we start to get into it by about the second or third night, that, that presence has settled down over the years. But the first couple of years of doing our haunted tours, they were quite agitated for a long time. Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of things when we first started it um kind of happened in the house. It just, you know, things, you know, like the 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 night that I was closing and and it sounded like furniture fell. Um that was a night after the, like one of the first haunted house tours. You could just tell they weren't happy. We're talking about everybody in the home that died. So, you know, um of course that's not going to mix well with them, but um you know, like Meg said, after we get into it for a few days, I think they're kind of used to us. Do you speaking of getting used to you, do you think that like so as you're when when there's a new person who joins the staff who is participating uh, in these tours with you, do you get the sense that they are being perhaps gently initiated or even hazed? by the beyond right is this an issue of like now they're comfortable with with meg and john but like if maybe tiffany in your if you're if you need to get 
uh, finally have some experience. Maybe if yeah. you participate, then it'll be like, well, who's this? Uh, <laughs> you know, I did go on one of the haunted tours last year. Um, and you know, wonderful experience. Did yeah, nothing happen tour. though? Were you like least haunted of all the tours we've ever given? <laughs> Tiffany showed up and they were all like, man, let's take five like, ghosts. Yeah. We like left the building, but, um, yeah, no, I, I don't know, man. I will Tiffany say that... Link ghost repellent. <laughs> yeah, just take me with you if you're yeah. if you're a little nervous. You could get a job. will be totally dead. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> Not to make a pun, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Mag, John, have you found that? Like new people? Like, uh, you know, that the Longfellow residents are not used to? Is this an what issue? What I tell the new people is they should really address Anne and say good morning and good night. I think that's that's a good thing that they should do. Um, and most people say to me, there was no response. And I said, well, someday maybe there will be. I say good morning to Ian and good night to Ian every night. And I close the house five days a week. She's never talked to me. <clears throat> and to really, I mean, give Anne the credit, like she, again, Henry's sister, um, whose husband passed away after a very brief time of them being married. She moved back into the family home and stayed there until she died. And Maine Historical Society is where it is today because of Anne. Um, we were founded in 1822, but didn't have a permanent home. We bounced around from a couple of different places. And when she died, the provision was that she would give us the house if we would build uh, our library on site. So that's why the library building that's slightly behind the Longfellow house is where it is. Um, and her dedication to her brother and her brother's memory was very apparent. And so I think, um, you know, again, no experiences, but I feel like if there's going to be someone in the house or kind of watching over things, it's going to be Anne. And, you know, we owe a lot to her for a lot of different reasons, but. Um... Anne Longfellow Pierce, it was very important to her because she said that her father was one of the founding members of the Maine Historical Society, and he actually served as their president. And when he served as the president of the Maine Historical Society, he chose a librarian. It was none other than his son, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. So it's very important to Anne, the history of Maine, you know, of Maine Historical Society. And she really wanted that preserved. So that's why that library sits on her barn lot. Well, thanks, Anne. I think that's important to note. Yeah. Oh, a woman of and it's great like, foresight. again, it's yeah. just the house has never, you know, it went from Anne to Maine Historical Society. So there's, there's nothing in between. There's no one that's ever lived there that hasn't been a part of this family um, and connected to it in a very like emotional and biological way. And so um, I think it's a really special property in that regard. You know, the furnishings are original. Um, you know, it's, it, it never left the Longfellow family until it became a museum. Hmm. Yeah, and that's that's really really rare. You know, this house had a fire. You could always have fire. Um, you know, buildings could be torn down for just a simple reason for a gas station, or torn down and replaced by a strip mall. So we are just. This is just one of the best uh, 19th century or 18th century homes I've ever been in. You know, in terms of its preservation as 
just the building itself. Uh, she never put in gas lighting. She never put in electricity. She didn't put in plumbing. You know, so none of those kinds of renovations had to be removed for it to look historic. They were never there to begin with. And uh, so this is just a really rare and, and beautiful uh, location for us. I really believe that Anne knew many, many years before she passed that she was going to leave the house of the Maine Historical Society because when they were putting in running water after the fire of 1866, I always tell the story, I don't know if Anne was armed or not, but I do know that she stopped the water company and had them cap the pipe that was going to run into her lawn. So, I, you know, if you go back that far, you know, and her not wanting to put water in the house, her not wanting to put a bathroom in the house, she said, I don't want to change any of the rooms. They called the house the old original, and that's how she wanted to keep it. Well, I salute her commitment to historic preservation. That's... I've never heard that story before, John. Yeah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I did not know that. I got a million of them. <laughs> that's great. Thinking big picture for one of the starting to wrap things up, and by all means, Tiffany, go big picture as well to your heart's content. But I'm wondering, maybe uh, Meg and John, thinking about yourselves in your role. I know you do these you know, tours year round, but thinking about the sort of haunted aspect of your of your calling here um you know we often ask people on mainly history sort of how they how their corner of of the historical world fits in with you know the 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 craft in general the field in general for yourselves let's take seriously haunted history if you will where do you see the role of sort of haunted histories like like yours uh in houses like the longfellows and then elsewhere the the role that plays right in in public history in general it really is something people of today are really interested in you know halloween has become uh and continues to grow as one of the most popular times of the year and especially up here in new england we have this beautiful autumn and then it's it's a picturesque time of year and, and even on my daily tours in the spring and summer, months away from October, people will ask me if the house is haunted. So it's, it's just something people associate with an old house. You know, the, the haunted house is such a cultural symbol. And, uh, and for us to have a real one, I think will just continue to attract and attract and attract people. Uh, as long as we as long as we do haunted tours, and our tour focuses on the actual history of the family. Um, so we're again we're not trying to glorify or or make these make these family members out to be, you know, some sort of romantic figure uh, or tragic romantic figure. Uh, you know, maybe like in a poem or something like that. You know, these are real people, uh, so we really respect that. Uh, but at the same time, yes, we do have a legitimate haunted house with family members who did actually pass away here. Uh, so it is something the public is really, really, uh, you know, they're always asking me, is this house haunted? Even as early as May, June, July. Um, so that is, yeah, that, that draws people for sure. And just going on the experiences of the people that have come to the house and then have told their stories after they've visited, 
it's almost if if it was one or two people, maybe I would say, you know, oh, it could be just a coincidence or whatever. But I've been here for close to 20 years now, and most of my time managing the Wadsworth Longfellow House for the Maine Historical Society. So I have talked with people from all over the world that come here to visit the Longfellow House. And I mean, to have one or two experiences, yes, maybe, you know, but I mean, you know, I've probably had over a hundred people tell me that they have experienced something in the house. So, you know, um, I, 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 I believe there, there's a presence without a doubt in there, but people seem to like it. People seem to enjoy it. And so we just want to make sure that people know that we're here May through October. Please come and see us. We'd love to have you. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll kind of echo what Meg said and just again, reiterate that our tours, our haunted tours are a little bit different. And um, I think that they are really haunting in their own way, just the way they're given, the way they're structured. Um, I don't want to give away like the whole setup, but uh, the guide who does them, James is excellent and has put a lot of work into this. And it's really respectful. It's, it is a little dark and it is a little haunting. Um, but you know, it's more from like a perspective of think about love and loss and history and who will remember us and why locations are important and what kind of emotions they can evoke from us and how they can really make us feel connected to history, whether that's good or bad or sad. Um, and you know, that really that's the reason we're all here. So, whether you believe in ghosts or not, you know, the the haunting nature of history can follow you. And I think we kind of display that. Unfortunately, our tours are sold out this year, but, you know, check back early next year and and get in on the, the haunted tour action at the Longfellow House. I don't know if I believe in ghosts. I believe in Nicolas Cage and <laughs> I'll I'll leave it there. I'm from Missouri. I'm from the show me state. So <laughs> I need a ghost to really do something amazing. And I'll say I'm a believer. I, I won't say like I discount it all. That's not true. I'm totally open-minded, but I haven't had that experience yet where I'm just like, absolutely. I'm not sure I want that experience, but I haven't had. <laughs> I drive to work uh, most days through what local boosters have tried to call the Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, oh, in southeastern no Massachusetts. Way. Yes, know all about it. <laughs> but nothing, I don't think anything has ever happened there unless you count <laughs> me uh, needing to replace my tires because of the poorly maintained Route 44. Nothing remotely <laughs> paranormal has happened in my drives through the Bridgewater Triangle. So, just lucky so far. Clearly, uh, clearly. So, Meg and John, thank you very much. And is there, for folks who are missing, uh, or are not able to, to to make these sold out tours. Is there anything else that they should be looking out for maybe in early November if they're in the in the if they're in the Portland area and looking for all things history and autumnal that you might recommend? We are going to be doing some Christmas tours called Comfort and Joy. So it's a nice little tour that people take and it talks about the Christmas 
traditions of the Longfellow family. So you can go on our website, mainhistory.org, and you can purchase tickets online for comfort and joy. And we're also open until the end of the month if you want to come see us. Great. Thanks so much. Yeah. And I'll just say we are opening a new exhibit, um, a small exhibit about the International Appalachian Trail, uh, which is a, a trail that represents Appalachia as it was during Pangaea. And it was a concept that was started in Maine and travels throughout Maine, Canada, Europe, Africa and South America, I believe all those. And um, I think maybe through like 30, 23 countries, something like that. Um, But it's really incredible. And, you know, I love fall as a hiking season. So come on down and see that as well as our main gallery exhibit code red, which, um, you know, talks about Maine's natural history and kind of how global warming has affected that. Uh, So it's, it's a great exhibit. And maybe you will be haunted by either Meg or Anne Longfellow. But can you tell the difference? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Thanks so much, yeah. Meg and Thanks, John. Guys. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been great. Yeah. Happy Halloween. That's our show. Join us again soon. We've got a great new season coming out for you. In the meantime, Tiffany, what should people do if they want to stay in touch with Mainly History? You can definitely reach out to our Facebook page, ask us questions there, leave a five-star review for the podcast, um, and maybe we'll answer your question. Like, yes. what's your favorite color? Or, you know, nothing too personal. Or Tiffany, PG. have exactly, keep it PG. Tiffany, or like any hauntings lately, you know, things of that nature, yeah, right? I'll try to keep you updated. Keep Obviously, <laughs> nothing's gonna happen to me, but if it happens to someone else, I'll be the to let you know. <laughs> Tiffany's paranormal live blog linked on the the Facebook page. It's true. We are also still on uh, what remains of the husk of Twitter uh, run by Elon Musk. Uh, You can follow us there as well. Um, Our show is available to stream on any and all podcast uh, streamers that you can find. So pick your favorite and we're there. Share widely, let the fandom spread, and we'll see you soon. See you soon.